Welcome, Welcome to, to White Collar Dropouts. Dropouts. I'm your host, Phil. Also known as Dorota's son. And I'm your host, Zach. Also known as the 1980s Slayer. You know what's, what's interesting? So I found this in my dad's closet the other day when I went home. And it says, interplanetary body gear. So I learned that my dad does acid. Well, <laughs> the second thing that I looked at was the ski tag. He was wearing this in 2008. I was... I was 12 years old, and my dad was doing acid, wearing shit like this. Not 1980s. My dad was wearing this in 2008. So the cool factor is kind of removed. I'm sure he got that in the 80s. I, I hope so. And it, what's crazy is... But he was wearing it in 2008. You, I asked you right before the show, I'm like, are you keeping that tag on? And you're like, yeah, it's for the vibes. Vibe check. It's 2008, buddy. Let's take it back to 2008. What were you doing in 2008? It's probably like yelling at my brother or something. Screaming, crying. It sounds like you. Yeah, you still do that actually today. Just not your brother. Yeah. Just everybody else. Just, yeah. You scream and cry, kick your legs. Late at night only though. Only you see it. Yeah, that's true. So like if you were to give yourself advice to yourself in 2008, what would you say? Honestly, honestly, if I could... I thought about this. If I could say one thing to my eight-year-old self or nine-year-old self, I would say, listen, you stupid fuck. Put all of your parents' money into Bitcoin. Yeah. And then sell it in 2021. What would you do with that capital? I don't fucking know. Honestly, if it happened, like if I knew, like imagine just like being young and then you're like, you know, you're going to be rich. You know, you're going to be a billionaire. You're not going to want to do fuck all. You're not going to want to do fuck all. So honestly, at that point, my life would be over. I'm serious. Look at these, you know, look at these rich kids that got it all while they were young and they just chilling. Yeah. You don't hear about them because they just chilling on their islands. It's a good point. If you don't hear about people anymore, it's actually, if you don't hear about, you know, people that used to be very, very relevant, social mm. media, YouTube, whatever. I'll yeah. if you don't hear about them anymore, they're chilling. Yeah, they're they chilling. Got, they have no reason. They, they made, they made their M's, ten, ten, maybe tens of M's and they're just Probably investing hundreds. it. Yeah. They're just investing it. They're chilling. So I asked you, what would you say to your younger self? I'm going to ask you again, like, let's get serious. Like, let's start dropping sauce. Okay. All right. Oh. Okay, so you, you gave me a pretty decent response. Pretty bullshit answer. Everybody's answer when they say, give yourself advice to your younger self, is always invest in something. Give me some real sauce. Give me something, okay. like, actually worth my So time. if I were to tell my younger self anything, it would be fail as fast as possible. Okay, expand on that. Let's talk here. Let's talk. Let's talk money, because whenever you're scared about doing something, a lot of the factors that are associated to that fear is money. Right. It's true. If I were to drop, if I was a student, I had a thousand dollars in my bank account or five thousand dollars in my bank account. If I were to spend all that five thousand dollars into starting my own business and lose it all. 
The absolute worst position I'd be in is I need a job at Starbucks to start over again. But the amount of lessons that you learn through that time are extremely important to your future success and your goals for yourself. Absolutely. I mean, there's one thing that the younger generation or just young people should know is just understanding when it comes to money, the difference between money and wealth. Wealth is what you're after. You got to seek wealth, not money. Wealth is something that will be an asset. It'll pay you while you sleep. Money is simply just a means to transfer time or transfer wealth. Yeah. Um, I, I totally agree. Uh, my mentors, the ones that have so like, you know, tens of millions of dollars, all they do all day is figure out where to put their money at it. They don't do any work. They invest their money places because the more that they invest money places, the more that they make day to day. If their money just sits, it's not going to really do much. But when they invest their money, they could increase their daily, monthly. Um, it's almost like a salary, but you're sitting on your ass doing nothing, right? So if you invest a million dollars in a home and you could rent that out for, let's say, $4,000 per month, after expenses, you're netting 2.53K. Imagine doing that with $10 million, right? Every month you're making twenty, thirty thousand dollars Over a year, you're now making $250,000, whatever, $1,000. Um, and if you could live off of that for the rest of your life, you're good. You can do whatever you want. You can start your own business, whatever. So that's sort of what building wealth looks like. Yeah, and like... You're just, you're not going to get rich and wealthy by renting out your time. No. The only way to get rich and wealthy is to allocate your resources in a way that you can eventually own a piece of a business. Correct. The business will pay you. The business will operate on its own, sometimes even autonomously. Yeah. And that can be... Buying shares on the stock exchange, $200, fine, start out with. I'm against that. Yeah, I know, but that's still a form of owning a piece of business. All the way to starting and building your own business, Um, you can start today. That's how you get financially free. Let's talk about business. Drink some coffee. Let's talk about business partners, actually. Okay. Like, we're now surrounding ourselves with a lot of people. There's a yeah. lot of people in the picture right now. A lot of people in our operations. You know, not just our operations, but also in operations that are connected to ours. By two, by one degree or by two degrees? Yeah, I mean... There's so many people out there. There's so many people that claim to bring value. How do you know and how do you... Yeah, how do you just know who to pick? How do you pick a business partner? My answer to that is you don't. You don't pick your business partner. I strive to live my life based on people's energy. Um, And like, it's like a pretty broad thing to say, I feel like. Um, But what I connect it to is that feeling in your gut that you have. If like, if you get like a little bit of anxiety dealing with somebody and you could tell, you just have to kind of listen to yourself and what your body tells you. You'll be able to maneuver your way through bad business partners and good business partners through bad employees and good employees through bad interns and good interns like literally the first call i have with our interns 
I know if we're going to be working with them or not. Like the first couple minutes. That's true. I actually brought somebody Phillips way for a potential internship. Young kid, recent, <sighs> recent dropout, um, totally after it. And within, I don't know, how quickly into the call did you realize that this was not fully it? Like the first couple minutes. Yeah. And like, what were you looking for? Somebody. Okay. The problem with this kid is that he did not have, he did not have an open mind. So he was very, very close minded to a lot of different things. Like I was basically, I was telling him what I do and I was actually throwing out some numbers. Right. And like in his head, he was, he was listening, but he, he seemed like distracted. He seemed like he didn't care. Like I basically offered him an internship on that call, which opens up so much information and so much network. It's actually fucking crazy. The only reason I did it is because Zach is friends with his father or something like that. Like I would never, I would never offer a random kid an internship or anything. And he was just like closed minded about it. And he didn't ask enough questions and it's crazy because it was aligned with what he's doing. I remember when I was starting my career, um, and I would get introduced to different people in it, and it was like sometimes you just don't know what you don't know. Which is why having an open mind is so important. Absolutely, I f- I absolutely hate when I'm in a conversation and you can talk, but the person's not listening to what you're saying, oh, and you could tell. Well, even if you're like, like, here's a, here's one interesting piece of information that I didn't realize until actually recently in a situation like this is a perfect example of it. Um, you're going to get introduced to people that are so far ahead in the game than you, so much further ahead than you are. Everything just blows over your head. Yeah. You have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. You want to, you want to be in their network. You want to be in their circle. You want to be able to have a conversation with this person and, and have something to contribute you yeah. want there to be an exchange of value all the time, but they're just way too, way too ahead of you in order for you to do that. Yeah. You got to nurture those relationships because that right there is a sign that that person needs to somehow be in your life. If somebody's overwhelming you with knowledge, double down. Yeah. If you can totally understand what the other person is explaining to you, um, they're not going to really bring you too far ahead the whole point is to explore you can you can you can befriend that person in hopes that he introduces you to another person yeah but that's exactly what happened with this kid it's everything i said definitely went over his head because he was like oh my god like information overload this is scary to me um but it'd be scary or it could just be like you could also think um now just isn't the right time well that's just not being ready. He's just yeah. not ready. Yeah. Like he's doing everything right. You know, and like if you find yourself grinding. in a situation where you, where you're not ready, that's okay. But nurture that relationship. Still, still nurture that relationship. Cause eventually you yeah. will be, and it'll be too late. You can't just, I'd also argue the point where if you're not ready then what the fuck are you doing, man? Jump, make the jump. That's it. Yeah. You're never going to be ready for anything. That's, that's truth. Right? You're never going to be ready. And nurturing that relationship is pretending you're ready. Well, the other thing to do 
is if you're in a relationship or if you're in a conversation with somebody that's giving you information overload and it's overwhelming, again, you feel like you're way out of your league, that's one thing. Try to make an effort to nurture it. But if they go as far, if you're as lucky to be in a situation where that person is offering you a call to action like a free internship or a mentorship, fucking take it. Yeah, man. Oh my God, take it. I'm so disappointed. He, Most people, it, like, he could have been, he could, if he, if he took changed his that, life. he would have been years um, ahead. There's one thing that you should really understand super early um, when you, when you're young and you're trying to do all of this for the first time. And I learned this, I learned this only in my 20s. I didn't realize this as a teenager. You are not going to be able to do it on your own. Your success is going to come from the people that you surround yourself with. You know what's very interesting? Let me give you a piece of advice. This is how you surround yourself by the right people. You throw money and hope it sticks. And that's why I treat money as a tool. It's a utility. That's all it is. It's nothing else. What do you do to get the same outcome? But when you have no money, you work a job, you work a job to get the money, then throw it where it sticks. Yeah. Doesn't stick. Go back to work. Yeah. It doesn't stick. You just learned. You just failed faster. Throwing money is the easiest way to fail. And I mean, the fastest way to fail. I agree. Remember that time I tried to build an app and I threw money. Yeah. All the way to India. Yeah. But what was great about that is you threw money so that you didn't have to learn how to do the work while you worked your regular job making good money. Yeah. So really, you just save time and you don't have to stress yourself out. And I failed. The good thing is my f- second app development attempt, failure, is behind me. I probably have another 100,000 to go. Yeah. Being honest. How's, how's the app coming along, by the way? Dude, I don't even know. Oh. Um, this, I hired a developer. He's a master's student um, about to finish. And he decided to take time off. To do his exams, which is kind of bullshit. Uh, upset about that. Um, but I, so basically, uh, a little bit of information on that. I am slowly trying to build internal software um, so that the business is seen more as an asset than managed by people. Are we uh, ramping up for an acquisition? Is that what's going on? I mean, yeah, of course. Nice. We're always ramping up for an acquisition. Good. <laughs> that makes me happy and excited. Yeah. Because we get to say no. I mean, that's, yeah, exactly. Every time it's no, 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 fuck off. And then every time it's just better offers. Um, but there will be another one very soon. Are you, are you, are you saying that because there's an investor in the pipeline? Well, yeah, that too, but okay. that one's going to be a no. <laughs> I just like, fuck you, dude. <laughs> and then there's going to be another one this summer. Actually, multiple this summer in LA. After May. After May? In May, there's probably going to be some, dude. Yeah, but after after May, I think our valuation is going to skyrocket. I believe so. Just because the amount of growth that we're getting ready for. See that as a possibility. Um, and then think about all the systems that we're trying to build right now. Yeah. Yeah. Very, it's getting, it's getting interesting. Um, very interesting pivot point right now. I feel like a decision is going to have to be made about our direction 
very shortly. Yeah. We might have to, um, for the sake of the things that are coming up, we may have to slim the operation. S- narrow, sorry, narrow the focus of the operation. Uh, I know what you mean. Um, so basically, like, vertically scale the thing that we're best at. We don't, I don't know if we have to pick just one thing. Um, but I think we need to be clear about what the two two things are, or the three things are. Yeah, that's... And if we don't have momentum in a in one of the things, just th- that's not the thing right now. Yeah, yeah, it's like just like riding the wave. What's what's most in demand and what's e- best to fulfill on our end? What the one one thing is obvious. I think the the second is where we have to uh, get clear on, get some clarity. I see. I see another service. Once we figure out this, which one? I, I see us doing a podcast service. Oh yeah, like I just see that for sure. Once we have it all built out for ourselves. sure. Yeah. So what what Zach's talking about? It was very very vague. Um, obviously, we can't talk much about that because it's in the works. Um, however, for anything that we do, anything new that we figure out, and anything new that we're really good at, we can very easily systemize it because. Zach and I, at the end of the day, we don't want to do any work on our end. So the best, the easiest way to not do work on your end is figure out how to systemize, for example, a podcast. So development, uh, I mean, production and distribution of a podcast. See how to systemize that. If you're doing, you know, TikToks for a brand, how can you systemize that? If you're doing email service for, you know, e-commerce brands how can you systemize that and then once you systemize it you're building assets which is how you evaluate um a business as well as you know revenue earnings before blah blah capita bullshit whatever that whatever that stands for ebitda ebitda um but anyways i was just stalling <laughs> but yeah zach what would you say to the next generation of youth I'm kind of sad I'm out of coffee. Um, I would, thank you. You could have that. Oh, thanks. I've had plenty. I've had three coffees today. To the next generation of youth, um, I would look up the topic specific knowledge. I've recently been enlightened by it. Explain. So specific knowledge is something that you can't be trained for. Mm. It's based on the premise that if society can train you for something, it can train somebody else for that same something and replace you. I see. How do you find passion in what you do day by day? It starts with your curiosity. What are you most curious in? Are you curious in how things work? Are you curious in social media? Like, What do you find yourself asking the most questions about? What are you asking the most questions about? I like to understand how things work. I like to understand how processes work. I like to understand how wealth is distributed. Um, I like to understand policy. And that's all provided in your work? I would, well, most of my job is trying to figure, is figuring out how businesses work. And then it's up to me to figure out how to make them work better. Um, So I really enjoy understanding how things work and why things are the way that they are. Interesting. Yeah. So like as an example, for those of you that work at a big corporation, 
one of the things that I really like to understand is, um, like, okay, what's the real reason that Facebook rebranded to Meta? There's a public-facing image of why that happened. What's the public-facing, and then what's the real reason? Well, I don't know what the real reason is. The public reason is they are... Mark Zuckerberg essentially thinks that the next generation of the internet after social media is going to be immersive and it's going to be the metaverse. Now, the metaverse isn't something that Facebook invented by any means, but they've rebranded their entire company to meta so that they can be the most relevant player in the space. So you think that they own the metaverse and the stock goes up, right? And all the innovation from the consumer perspective well, recently it got it went down. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, <laughs> with Zuckerberg at the steering wheel, I think it, it's tough. It's you know what's happening right now. It's going to correct itself, obviously, but it's mar- it's just market fit, right? He he found the market, rebranding it to metaverse. It has to go down. Look at the journey of the entrepreneur. It has to go down. It's going to come back up. Then the next six twelve months, it's probably going to correct itself. Yeah, possibly. And I, I mean, like, so many people are split down the middle with the metaverse right now. Anyway, this is this is a whole another fucking topic. We should actually do an episode on the metaverse. That can be... I don't know enough, episode. but if you want to yeah. <laughs> talk about that. Back to specific knowledge. Um, Yeah, specific knowledge in terms of, like, this type of specific knowledge you should be after. Just go understand what you're curious about. And then also understand that you're only going to learn about it through experience and apprenticeship. Uh, Specific knowledge is just something that will not be taught through school. Yeah, and there's there's also like two forms of it. There's the the two most common forms of specific knowledge are anything creative. If you're an illustrator, if you're a script writer, right? These are things that come out of your brain um, that others cannot replicate. Um, And then there's also things that are highly technical. for example, writing code. And the best forms of specific knowledge are also two things that cannot be automated. So you can't automate somebody writing a script, right? You can't build a machine or a robot to do that. Artificial intelligence. Eventually one day, yeah. Um, and you also can't really necessarily build a machine to write code. Like, yeah, you can, but there's still somebody that's designing and building the machine that's writing the code. Um, so those are, just, those are just sort of like two... Uh, examples of specific knowledge but if I were to tell the younger generation and give them some advice in like a north compass is try to figure out what your specific knowledge is going to be yeah and it's crazy because school you do like five subjects a semester or whatever four subjects a semester um it's just broad it's just like everything's broad and then it gives you the opportunity in high school or whatever to figure out what your specific knowledge is, right? And once you find that specific knowledge, you pick a major in university. But sometimes, you know, you're not always right and your specific knowledge is when not are in there. You right? When are you right in high school? <laughs> not often. Um, Generally, like, your specific knowledge, when you accidentally stumble upon it, so if you're intentional about it, um, you can find it that early. But generally, your specific knowledge comes, I think, if you go through formal education, you graduate, your first three, four years out of school is when you start to build your specific knowledge. So you're telling me that 
when I'm 24, 25, I start building my specific knowledge. You've probably found your specific knowledge. At 24, 25. The average person. Yeah, I would say. You know what? If you're not intentionally looking for it. That's so true. That's so... Because once you find your specific knowledge, like, what, mid, late 20s, mm-hmm. that's when most people really go exponential. Like, yeah. and the easiest way to tell is income. Yeah. It's a statistic. You could look up... The 1% in each age group. Income. I would also say confidence. There's a lot of confidence that comes from you knowing that you're one of the only people in the world that are as good at doing what you're doing. I'm the best at TikTok. That's why we charge so much. No, we charge a lot. Actually, we don't charge enough. We don't. We don't. Not at all. When you're running a business, there's two ways to acquire new business and better business and when i say better business i mean higher quality uh business clients that are going to stay with you for a while right and you're going to have to figure out how to get introduced to those people and the way i do it is currently i am undercutting my competitors and i have a better service because i want the word to spread about us faster be like, oh, hey, this guy's charging 5K, but you're charging 4K, you know, something like that. And they would come to me and be like, hey, you're cheaper. Let's see what you got. It's cheaper. The service is better. So now their friends are going to come in. And that's how we've been able to grow the business through word of mouth within this first quarter. And we had a killer quarter. You know, it could always be better. It's going to be better next quarter. But it's through literally all word of mouth at this point because the service is so good. What's very interesting, there's two things that I find really interesting um, with the sales strategy that I've witnessed. For any inbound interest, one of the things that happens is first question is, what do you need us for? We're almost putting them in the position where it's like, why do you want to spend, why do you want to give us your money? Oh, that call that That, I had the other day? (laughs) It's so crazy, but it works. From now on, for all inbound interests, I think we might just continue to do that. Yeah. (laughs) Literally anything. Even if if you have somebody like organically jumping into into your funnel. Yeah. Why did you fill out that form? What are you like interested in? Yeah, I that was funny. That was really funny. I, I hopped on a sales call the other day. Zach was like r- right beside me. And the first question I asked was, hey, what do you need us for? <laughs> like, <Yeah>. like, <laughs> and then and then you went on to be like, I feel like you can just do this yourself. Yeah, I was not I was not feeling it. Um like not not the vibe with him like the vibe was decent um there was just we're just getting so much business i'm trying to like slow it down a little bit so i didn't really care but this morning i closed him oh you did i closed him (laughs) he's like okay when when can we start i gave him a quote because usually what was the offer you gave him um well it's just consultation okay not gonna tell you the exact but like it's it's pretty good like for us um just literally consultation and helping him get his page started on tiktok like literally talking consultation it's going to be really good information he's going to learn a lot from us um but it doesn't require a lot of 
uh, a lot of costs on our end, which is great. Um, Here's a question. When it comes to consultation in this space, so much of the success after you consult somebody is actually determined by the work they put in with the advice you've given them. When they don't put in the work and they come back and say your advice doesn't work, what do you have to say? Well, that's why we call it a done with you service. So the same thing with mentorships. You don't just give them a, a course and you let them go. Like you check in with them and you keep checking in with them and you you encourage them to ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, at that point, it's kind of out of our hands. Mm-hmm. But what you're trying to do is en- engage them and push them to make as much content as possible and get them comfortable with it same thing with mentorships we push them to make their stores to advertise what if they their just products simply don't what if they just get lazy and they just don't well that's that's not our fault right because i believe that with the consultation we give them information the first week that's worth five ten thousand dollars easily it's like our standard operating procedure for posts for content research stuff like that so right away, they're getting the information, which is their ROI. There you go. You just made your money back. Now, over the next couple of weeks, apply what we're telling you to do. And then once you do that, then you could actually physically see the money come back in your bank account. I gotcha. I gotcha. But there's, you know, there's oftentimes, this is how gyms make money because 90% of the fucking people don't go. Same shit. That was a good analogy. Here's another question. For youth trying to get into the, tap into the space, right? Whether it's building their very first store, whether, whether it's trying to learn about ads, um, content creation, one of the common denominators around the most successful people that have brands with their faces on them is that they have embraced accountability. When it comes to learning new skills for the very first time and being in that, in that no man's land of not really understanding where your direction is and having no North compass, how should young entrepreneurs embrace accountability? How should they use it to their advantage? What does embrace accountability mean? I would say embracing accountability means like holding yourself accountable to an outcome or holding yourself accountable to making sure you spend X amount of hours. Like when you were building Blythe, right? You held yourself accountable to the end result. Like you woke up at a specific time you did XYZ task like you were a robot. Like there were no excuses. Everything needed to get done. And if you <laughs> didn't get any of that done, the only person to blame is you. You are accountable for the, the make or the miss. Yeah. Right? Like you always put yourself... Well, okay. Okay, I got it. Ask me the question again. The common denom- denominator among some of the most successful people that have brands with their face on it is that they have all embraced accountability. What advice would you give to a young entrepreneur or anybody that's trying to build something when it comes to understanding how to leverage accountability to their advantage um, and how to embrace it? 
four words. Your life, your choice. You have to be 110% responsible for where you are in life. It's not your parents' fault. It's not your brother's fault. It's not your ex-girlfriend's fault. It's not your ex-boyfriend's fault. You are in charge of the people that you have around you, whether it's your family, your friends, whoever it could be. You're in charge of your environment. You're the creator of your environment. You are the creator of the world that you have around you. You can live in any place you want for the most part. You go wherever you want. So until you take accountability of the position you're currently in, then at that point, you'll be able to really create the life that you want. Stop complaining. I'm going to call out um, an obvious thing in our space, in the e-commerce space. Um, status games. Tons of people play status games, especially in Miami, especially in L.A. There's a whole lot of that. Um, yeah. Do you play the status game or do you ignore the status game? Where does it get you? There, well, there's multiple. There's always a status game. If you're, if you're on any social media, there's a status game. And there's multiple ways to play it. So I was talking to my friend recently and he popped off with a very successful brand. I'm not going to name the name of it. Maybe he'll be on this podcast next month. He will. Yeah, he probably will. But we're talking and, uh, you know, I got the Tesla. So we were kind of discussing on how to monetize it. Obviously, we're going to monetize it with content. But the topic of posting it on our social media is took into consideration and what we realized is when you're on social media there are two main audiences you're going to tap into it's either people that are less successful than you that you can sell something to or people more successful than you that you can work with have you heard of the 33 percent rule no okay so the 33 percent of your rule the 33% rule basically says spend 33% of your time with people on your level. Spend another 33% of your time with people above your level, social hierarchy-wise or um, financial means, so you can learn from them. And then also spend 33% of your time with people below your level so you can understand how that class thinks, acts, and makes decisions. Yeah, regarding that last group... Um it's a lot less for me, percentage-wise. Well, I, I think it's important because um, ultimately, like, I feel like business is the biggest platform for change. Or you at least have the opportunity to make the biggest impact when it comes to change through a business. And um, mm. when it comes to solving problems, you really want to understand the problems that people... I hate to say below you are facing, but I don't, I can't really think of a better way to say this, but just people living in class below you are facing. Like you got to understand what those issues are, what those problems are, because um, money is going to come from solving those problems. Money is going to come to you by solving problems for people that do not have a solution. And the real money is going to come when you're able to do that at scale. So how do you know what problems exist by spending time with those people? 
in addition, okay. in addition to that, um, what I, I don't necessarily look at the problems I have to solve in maybe like a business sense for the general population. However, when I do hang out with the people below your level, my level, I look at more so what not to act like and what mindset not to have. Well, yeah, there's definitely that's a lot of that. My main thing, whenever I talk to somebody that's a, maybe a level, a couple levels below me, I'm just like, shit, thank God I don't have that mindset anymore. Like, thank God I don't believe those things. Yeah, um, but yeah, no, some, some of the things that people below you... Uh, it's so de- it's, de- it's so degrading. How can it's we so say degrading? This? I don't know. A class below you, a, a level below me. Just say a level below me. Okay. Um. But yeah, one of the biggest things uh, you might have to fucking cut all that shit, Aiden. I'm so sorry. Yeah. If this is sounding super fucked up, yeah, just could be fucked up. Could out. be fucked. We'll up. have to figure out a better way to say it in the future. Uh, in addition to that, though, I feel like the biggest thing I learned from um, the people that are a level below me because I do spend with time, time with those people as well, is the type of mindset not to have and being grateful for the thoughts and the beliefs that I have today um, and to understand that I would never want to go back to that level because financial freedom and, and making money is a lot about mindset. And it's a meme at this point, I would feel like, but it's true. And hanging out with people below you, a level below you, um, you get to contrast to what you believe now versus what you believed then. I feel like there's two types of people right now. There's producers and there's consumers. Consumers have a very different mentality. Yes. They like to consume content. They love to be entertained, food, um, you name it. Basically, any form of entertainment, they're all over it. Mm. Then there's producers. You're constantly thinking, how can I entertain these people? How can I per- bring them value? How can I give them something that they will enjoy? So when you go out to a re- the way that you know whether or not you're a consumer or a producer is go out to a restaurant or go out to a show. If you're thinking, oh, this food is so good or, oh, man, the show is so funny and entertaining, you're a consumer. If you're thinking, how do I, like, I wonder how much rent they pay. I wonder what their margins are. I wonder, like, where they source their chef. Where do they source their ingredients? How do... Like they make all these puzzle pieces fit together so that I get this plate of food on my table. If you're trying to figure out how things work, if you're not asking, like if you're asking your buddies, like I wonder how much they pay for that bartender. Um, I wonder how quickly they change the menu and how that actually changes like their entire uh, supply chain. Um, I wonder how many people they see on a night and whether or not they break even every single every single night. Do they break even on weekends or do they break even yeah. during the week? Like, those, if you're asking yourself those types of questions or if you go to a show and you're like, I wonder, like, who was responsible for putting all this talent together and how did they do it? How are they paid? Uh, I wonder how much, like, I wonder how many tickets they have to sell to break even on this event. If you're asking those types of questions, you're definitely a producer. Yeah, 100%. I mean... Wherever I go, I just like I kind of find myself making the business infrastructure in my head because I'm yeah. very interested in what their like margins are um, and how complicated their systems are. Yeah, like even small th- like when I was getting this apartment built, I was constantly thinking I'm like, there are like four or five different like 
places, like steps in order to get this wall built. Like there was the actual lumber service that had, was responsible for chopping down the trees. Then they're like, who is responsible for processing the wood? Then who is responsible for transporting the wood from the lumber yard uh, to the retail store? How does the retail store build relationships with contractors? How do we distribute all those things? That's like seven or eight different intermediaries making money from each other. Yeah. Like you look at the TV on the wall, there's millions and millions of parts in this thing. That wasn't all from one manufacturer producing every single little tiny chip. Multiple manufacturers building different parts of it. Tons of people making money off of it. Just so that somebody can hang it up on the wall and put their podcast logo on it. Like, there's so many steps in every little thing. Your dining table. Look at your dining table. Look at all the different parts. There's nuts and bolts. That's from one manufacturer. Then there's the actual wood. That's from some, something else. And somebody else refinished the wood. Uh, the chairs, again, that could be completely somewhere else. Maybe they bought the table as a, as a whole set and sold it to you under... A white label. Like, ask yourself these questions. Because once you start asking yourself these questions, you'll eventually find the answers to them. And once you find the answers to these questions, then you're going to realize there's no excuse as to why you can't make a lot of freaking money. It's everywhere. Abundance. I can tell you right now, to produce this podcast, we have an iPhone. So Apple made $2,000 off of this phone. All of the suppliers that made this phone are making money from that transaction as well. Then we have a MacBook here with software that was built by engineers that were not Apple engineers. So that party also makes money. Who made these cables? I bet you like four or five different companies are responsible for making like the plastic and the silicone that this cable is wrapped with as well as with the wires that are within the silicone. Four or five different parties making money off of that. Then there's also the shipping companies that are responsible for shipping it across the world to put into a retail store. Then there's the landlord who makes money off of renting the retail space to Apple. Um, I don't know. Then there's like this thing. We bought this on Amazon. Amazon makes money. The person who was delivering the package to me made money. Whoever's responsible for making those buttons made money. Whoever was responsible for making those LEDs within this thing made money. Whoever was responsible for making that LCD screen made money. They signed a contract with Rode to have their units and all of their whatever mixing boards. Like, There's like 50 different people in this frame that made money off of what we're doing. Yeah, and they're all millionaires. <laughs> they're all millionaires. <laughs> they're all millionaires. We're all producers. Even this chair, dude. Yeah, everything. There was the company that I paid for it from. I was Urban Barn. I bought it from Urban Barn. Urban Barn sourced the materials. So this whoever had those materials sold to Urban Barn. Then there was somebody to transport the materials to the Urban Barn warehouse. Then there were factory workers who had to work to assemble this chair. Then there were people that had to wrap the chair. Then there was the company that made the wrapping for the chair, the plastic wrapping. Then there was somebody that loaded the, the trucks. Then there was a driver that drove the trucks to the final destination. Then there's the person that manufactured those trucks. Then there's the, all the people that built the engine and made the rubber for the tires and worked in those factories to build the tires. It just goes on and on and on. Stop trying to be so complicated when you're trying to build a product. Like, just yeah. literally, I was, 
I used to live in the wealthiest neighborhood in Toronto, and I would look around at Ferraris and Lamborghinis driving by, and sometimes I would have conversations with the owners and ask them what they did. Half the time, they were like, I own a plastic manufacturing company. I own a plumbing company. I polish metal. <laughs> like, there are so many random things that people do to make money, and they become wealthy because they do it at scale. Yeah. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's fucking crazy, you dude. You can't make money, then. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Keep it simple. Keep it stupid simple. Kiss. No, yeah. don't kiss me. Just keep it simple. I That's the bet you want me to. Oh. Like, you can literally look around your room and go through the exercises of trying to figure out how many people are responsible for... Yeah, there should be an exercise every time you sit down at a restaurant, every time you ride the bus to school, every time you're sitting in class. Just, like, th keep this as an exercise. Who is making money? And how can I do it, too? Yeah. How can I provide... Like, can I provide one of the things that are around me? Is there a way to do it? Yeah. For sure. You know what's like the, one of the simplest things to do, one of the easiest gigs to get? When somebody's building a new retail space or new new store or new parking lot, um, you know all the yellow lines that are painted in the parking lot for where cars go? Yeah. They literally go to high schoolers to do that. No. Yeah. How much do they pay them? I don't know. Like, you can definitely... I don't know. It depends on how you price it. How do you it. trust them? But you get the point. Money is everywhere you look. What do you have to say to people that don't like money? That have a bad relationship with it because they think, yeah. What do you have to say to people that don't like anti-capitalist. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. Uh, what do I have to say to people that don't like money? Yeah. I mean... I think that I think that everybody likes money. I think that some people try to convince themselves that they don't like money because it takes the pressure off making money. I always wonder like why would somebody not like money? Um <laughs> I mean, that's just it, dude. Like think about think about when you were a kid. You didn't have nobody put nobody put the responsibility on you to make money because your parents would buy you things and, and get you money. But as soon as your parents put more pressure on you to, to start making money, then you were either really stressed out and you're like, Oh, I don't need, I don't need this cool sweater or I don't need this thousand dollar soap from Aesop. Um, <laughs> not pointing any fingers here. Um, but like, I hope you get the point. What I'm trying to say is, you know, you either strive to get that thousand dollar soap and you take all the stress that comes with it or reduce that stress and be like, I don't need this. I don't need this. I don't need this. Hence, you don't like money. I don't get it. Like, I just don't get why you would not like money. We should interview somebody that doesn't want to have a lot of money. Actually, we, you know what? <laughs> yeah, I know what you're thinking of. <laughs> Ooh, when is he coming down? Uh, whenever we tell him to. I would love to hear his view. I would love it. Yeah. 
I would love. I would love it. <sighs> well, that's it for this episode of White Collar Dropouts. I am your host, Philip, aka Derota's son. And I am Zach Ahmed. It's LaRusso. We had to start at the I am at Zach again. LaRusso. Well, that's it for this episode of White Collar Dropouts. Thank you so much for listening. I'm your host, Philip, aka Derota's son. And I'm Zach LaRusso. And uh, we will catch you on the next one. On the flippity flip. Adios.